Ajanolambato bujo kanakabadato Sankitanai kapitaro kamalaya taksho Vishwambaro dvijabaro yugadhaima palo Vande jagat priyakaro karunabotaro Shri Guru Parampara ki jai Vesi Bhakti Vidanta Sami Prabhupada ki jai Bhakti Rakshak Siddhajabha Sami Maharaj ki jai Bhakti Sant Sastri Thakur Prabhupada ki jai Bhakti Vinod Paribar ki jai Sisi Gaurnitananda ki jai Kaur Bhakti Vrinda ki jai Kaur Pramanandi So reading from Chaitanya Chiritamrita Ramananda Sambhad Conversation between Rai Ramananda and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu this is a very essential section of Chaitanya Charitamrita, in which Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has accepted Rai Ramananda as his guru. I was speaking earlier a little bit with Agnidev. We don't realize the extent to which Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was a social reformer. We know he was a religious and spiritual reformer, but that had its social repercussions, ramifications because we read of it out of a book and we live in the particular times in which we live in. For example, in relation to Varnashram, Mahaprabhu was in the midst of a system, a social system of Varnashram, but he was a great reformer even of that system. We spoke in the previous class in this section where Mahaprabhu has rejected Varnashram, considering it external. Of course, we know that he very strictly followed the Sannyasa Ashram and there's much observance of the Varnashram within the Leela of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. But at the same time, he crossed over many um, boundaries. As I said, he accepted Ramananda Roy as one of his gurus, Ragmar Guru. And Ramananda Roy was, from a social point of view, from a Sudravarna, and Mahaprabhu from a, a Brahman caste. So he was an essential spiritual person and a great reformer in every respect. And in this section of Jaitanya Charitamrita, he takes us the whole distance from the beginning of social-religious life to Radhadasyam, highest ideal of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, and all through the instructions of Ramananda Roy. As we know in the previous incarnation, Mahaprabhu Shri Krishna, Virjananda Krishna, Dwarkadish Krishna, Krishna Bhagavad Gita, from Braj he went to Dwarka, Mataran Dwarka, from Dwarka to Kurukshetra he spoke Bhagavad Gita to Arjun. There he was the teacher and Arjun was the student. And here Arjun is the teacher and Krishna is the student. Reversed. And as much as Roy Ramananda is sometimes considered to be an incarnation of Arjuna. So Mahaprabhu wanted to see how much he had understood. <laughs> and he understood everything <laughs> perfectly. Farthest reach that you can draw from Bhagavad Gita was drawn out by Arjuna and represented by him in the form of Roy Ramananda to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in this section. So when we come to tonight's verse, we've already passed through Mahaprabhu's rejection of Varnashram in terms of its being the goal of life, the ideal. We passed through also the Mishra Bhakti, Karma Mishra Bhakti, Ramananda Roy suggested after following Varnashram, well, if that's not good enough, then let us do our work, whatever it is, and give the result to Krishna. Our work, but we'll give the result to Krishna, Mahaprabhu rejecting. And then give up work, Dharma Tyag, 
become a renunciate, a sannyasi. Mahaprabhu has rejected that also as external. And Brahma Bhuta Prasanatma. Bhakti, then, mixed with Gyan. This is an important verse from Bhagavad Gita. And Mahaprabhu has rejected that also. This section here, beginning of this conversation up to this point, we're reaching tonight, is reminiscent of the 18th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, which, of course, is more or less a summary of the whole text as well beginning with the question of Arjuna, what is the difference between renunciation and sannyas and tyag, which is very similar, and he gets a similar answer to what he asked, and Krishna answered in third chapter and fifth chapter, work and knowledge, giving up work or for knowledge or doing work, what should I do, and so forth. And then in 18th chapter, Krishna begins to take Arjuna through karma and through jnana again, summarizing, and he comes to Mishra Bhakti of Gyan, Gyan mixed with Bhakti in this verse, Brahma Bhuta Prasanatma, Nasochiti Nakanshati, Samasaveshu Bhuteshu, Mad Bhakti Mlabhate Param. He spoke about these kind of Gyani Bhaktas, Gyanis who come to Bhakti also in the seventh chapter. He said these are great people, these kind of Gyanis who come to Bhakti. Remember there he mentioned four types of people who surrender to him, and the Gyanis, he said, oh, they're, they're the best of the group, implying that, well, if you come from other forms of mixed bhakti, you'll pass through them and come to Gyan, and then from there to bhakti, in a <coughs> gradual progression, a course which some people take, not the one that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has recommended, per se. So, this type of Gyani is uh, somewhat involved in trying to go up rather than something like the difference between the stairs and the lift. Elevator, man comes down. They used to have those elevator operators. You come down, open the door. If you open the door, you can get in and you can go up very easily. And if he doesn't come down, if he doesn't open the door, then there's no question of going up the elevator. The stairs are there, of course, but they require much more effort go up. So some effort from this side is involved in karma, obviously. Karma means energizing, doing work. And then uh, jnana is knowledge, curiosity. If we try to conquer and gain a superior position by energy, by physical strength, we can go so far. We find that our capacity is limited. How much we can conquer over and acquire, become the Lord and master of thinking that we'll be happy by such, is very limited. But by knowledge, we could go a lot further, it seems, more subtly. But both of these things are actually karma and jnana to be retired in pure bhakti. The jnana, misra bhakti, that has just been rejected, Krishna said, and he had quoted this verse, Brahma Bhuta Prasanatma Naso Param. It means he's making some self-effort, not simply depending on the Lord, but bhakti comes to help him, a form of bhakti called sattviki bhakti, a form of bhakti in the mode of goodness, comes to help him. And when he gets that help, then mud bhaktim labhate param, Krishna says. That jnani attains to my bhakti. He's already got knowledge. Knowledge means he's liberated. And with the help of sattviki bhakti, and then bhakti proper, he comes under the influence of. But here, now, in our verse tonight, Ramananda Roy has offered 
something that will satisfy Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Thus far, he's rejected everything. He said, uh, say something else. I reject that. This is Ehobhaya Agi That is external. Say something else. So Ramananda Roy says, all right. Gyane prayasam udapasya namanta eva jivanti san mukaritam pavadiya vartam stane stita shuti gatam tanuvan manobhir e prayasho jitya ditopi asi trastilokyam. This is a very important verse. This verse was spoken by Brahma to Krishna. Third verse of the 14th chapter of the 10th canto. 14th chapter is the prayers of Brahma. What were those prayers a result of? Oh, Krishna had gone out herding cows without Ram, who stayed at home. Picnic lunch. They went on. Krishna called, was so eager to get out of the house and go herding that particular morning that he called for a special arrangement, picnic lunch. He bugled his buffalo horn, taking from beneath his left arm and called all the cowards and out they went. And just before that picnic, there was some trouble, as usually there was in the Vrindavan forest, thanks to the envious Kansa. and one Agasura. Aga means sin. So Agasura, he was uh, sin himself, sin personified, came to try to swallow up Krishna. And of course he was unsuccessful. Krishna's coward friends, with such confidence, they walked into the mouth of Agasura. They recognized him after some time. They thought, looks like a mountain cave. Let's go. Such fun. They recognized, of course, shortly thereafter, that it wasn't a cave at all, but it was a big python. Huge python. And the path they were walking on was his tongue. And usually we try to stay away from those snakes. And, but you just see what the disposition of these cowards was as a result of what? Their being who they were in relation to Krishna. Their identification with Krishna, like equals. Nita sama Gogana Charanarange Vrindavane Svachanda Vihar. This is Krishna. Nidasama Sakasange. He goes Nidasama Sakasange in his association of friends who Nidasama, they're equals. Like they think of him, they think of one another like they're one. Just like when you feel very close with someone, then you can touch any part of their body. And that's like touching your own. If some stranger touches you, you go. Oh, goodness, we step back. But when this intimacy of love and affection reaches a certain point, our sense of self extends to include that other person. This is particularly characteristic of the fraternal love of Braja. This is one of the particular characteristics of those boys' love. They think Krishna just like we're equals. Therefore, they can wrestle with him, they can defeat him, and, and so forth. This is a description of Krishna given by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to Sanatana Goswami in Chaitanya Charitamrita. In going Gogana Charana with unlimited go cows herding Rangi happily Vrindavani in Vrindavan Swachanda carefree Bihar carefree pastimes absolutely carefree. So carefree they went into the mouth of Agasur. No worries because of their identification with Krishna. And Krishna saw them going, so he, he saw there would be difficulty, 
So he came in, and of course, as you know, then Agasur met with his demise. His soul went up into the sky, it said. It didn't have any place to go, because all places were inside of his body. <laughs> that is Krishna. <laughs> Everything is within Krishna. <laughs> he had nowhere to go. <laughs> this is the idea. So when Krishna came out, then he came and merged into the body of Krishna. And this news went throughout the sky, the universe. Sin itself has been swallowed up by this boy. While he tried to swallow him, he has devoured it. Just see. So Brahma came and was on his swan to see what this was all about, what the universe was talking about. By that time, they were having that picnic. And Krishna's putting food in his friend's mouth, and they're taking it out and putting it in his mouth. <laughs> Such intimate feelings. And Krishna's holding, he's described as holding a lump of rice, fruit, and yogurt in his left hand. You know, Prabhupada was so insistent that we would eat with our right hands. You must know. As of course, a Brahminical custom. I remember once, uh, my god, Bhada Shripad, Bhakti Singh Maharaj, told the story of how he went with Prabhupada to one householder's house in India, a wealthy Indian man who was a member of ISKCON, a life member, had invited Prabhupada for a luncheon. Prabhupada went with some of his Sanyasi disciples. And actually, let me correct myself, Maharaj said that he had been invited to go, and Prabhupada did not go, but he went in Prabhupada's stead with some others. And the man made a nice arrangement. He and his wife cooked very nicely and served them very carefully and watched them also very carefully. <laughs> observing. And afterwards, Marsh had already given a talk, and then the prashad comes yeah. and so forth. And afterwards, the man confided in him. He said, I heard the talk, and it was nice. I liked it. And everything seemed fine, but I wasn't quite sure. But then I saw, when you ate with the right hand, I, I knew. <laughs> you were paka. <laughs> you were shuddha, pure. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't know about Krishna eating with his left hand <laughs> in Vrindavan. <laughs> so these things are there. It's a good habit, but if we eat with our left hand, we won't be kept out of Vrindavan. <laughs> so we have to know what is bhakti and what are the, some of the trappings of bhakti, sattvagun, certain habits, and customs, and what's cultural, and what's spiritual. These things we have to sort out. You have to be a little bit thoughtful. Brahma, so thoughtful. He has four heads. He could think in every direction at the same time. We sit and we try to think in all directions. <laughs> Make sure we say the right thing, do the right thing. Spend our, our time wisely. He thought in all four directions at the same time. Vidhi is called also, means rules. Brahma, whom all the Vedas and all those rules and regulations have come from. Rules, of course are such that we should know them so well that we know when to break them. And Vrindavan Bhakti is uh, its what it's all about. <laughs> Knowing them so well that you can break them and still be fulfilling them and more. So Brahma came in, rules personified on his swan, and he saw this boy Krishna with his friends, and he thought, these are jungle people. And the devas are making a motion about them. This is contradictory. He couldn't recognize him at the time because of Krishna's yoga maya. He couldn't recognize him. And so, as you know, he stole the coward boys and calves and so much to all of this to be discussed. But not tonight. In brief, 
Krishna expanded himself as replicas of all those cows, calves, their sticks, their flutes, all the calves. I said they, they were all calves at this time because Krishna was just, just still young, just herding the calves. He had not become a full cow herder, calf herder at that time, as the calves and as the cowherd boys. And so perfectly he represented them in his expansions that their own mothers and fathers couldn't tell that it wasn't their son. Only thing different was that they felt more attraction to them than ever before. <laughs> because he was that they were all Krishna. And the cows for the calves as well. Balaram saw that, of course. And he thought, something very strange is going on here. He had missed that day. As I mentioned earlier, he said, this is the Maya, the Maya, the Shakti of Krishna is causing this. There's something behind this. Very mystical. So Brahma was witness to all of this. And you can imagine, he was astounded. Innumerable Vishnus, Narayans, emanating from Krishna. He knew Narayan, from whom innumerable universes emanated. And here he was seeing Krishna, from whom innumerable Narayans were emanating. Such Aishwarya, such opulence in Vrindavan, that place of sweetness, but underneath all that sweetness is the reality of the position of Krishna, Swayam Bhagavan, the source of all of everything. Ahamsarvasya Prabhu, even Narayana. This was quite a lesson to Brahma. So you can imagine what his thinking was. Krishna showed this extraordinary show of opulence, and then suddenly he closed the whole show down. And there he was, just like a cowherd, sitting alone in Vrindavan, a little bit perturbed. <laughs> but you've come and interrupted my play, and Brahma was a little nervous. <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> what is my position? Oh, my goodness. And with his foreheads, he paid obeisances, moved around, <laughs> all four of them. Hmm? Fell like a golden rod. He has a golden complexion, like a golden stick falling flat before Krishna. He was absolutely overwhelmed with tears pouring from his eyes, his hair standing on end, his voice faltering. All kind of sattvika bhavas were manifesting in him. And Krishna's sitting absolutely silent. And Brahma's wondering, what's on his mind? What can I say? And I'm at a total loss here. Such power has been shown. It's inconceivable. This person is unknowable. What is within him? What is his capacity? And Brahma is a knower of everything. He knows the Vedas. So he began to offer prayers. And the whole essence of Gaudiya Vaishnavism is found in those prayers in the next chapter, the 14th chapter. And this is the third verse of that 14th chapter. You know that this is where Prabhupada stopped. His voice came to a close. End of the 13th chapter. In the midst of the Brahma Vimohan Lila, which more than anywhere else in Srimad Bhagavatam, these chapters 12, 13, 14 teach us through Leela, with a Leela narrative, the practical reality of that one pada that Jiva Goswami says is the Paribhasutra, the key to understanding the whole tattva of Srimad Bhagavatam. Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. This Krishna's Swayam Bhagavan is demonstrated through the Leela in those chapters. And what was the one thing that Prabhupada said as much as he said Krishna? The Supreme Personality of Godhead. Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He said it for a reason. <laughs> he was trying to make a point. 
and he left the world in the midst of these chapters that make that point more than anywhere else, clearly in Srimad Bhagavatam. So Brahma prayed beautiful prayers, and this is one of them. He says, Gyane prayasyam udapasya namanta eva. So I give us a little background so we can think, who is saying this? What is his position? Brahma. And what is his disposition? At the time he said it, what had he just seen? What he's saying here again now, this is what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu will accept. Prabhu kahe, eho bhai age kaha ar, rai kahe, gyanshum bhakti sajasar. This is what Mahaprabhu was accepting. And he would say, uh, not eho bhai, eho hai age kaha ar. Yes, now that's, now we're getting somewhere. He's saying now we're on the spiritual platform proper itself with this verse. So we should try to understand this verse. This will be the, the foundation on which we can build our actual spiritual life. Gyane prayasya, udapasya, gyan, knowledge, hatefully rejected. As I said earlier, we try to conquer by karma, by our energy. But what can we conquer? How much land can we gain? How many people can we suppress? How much can we acquire and by that drive a sense of security? By our physical power, by our karma, by our action? Not very much, but by knowledge we can go a lot further there's much more subtle just like on the physical plane well we can carry so many things in this room out the door but not everything but with our mind we could take everything with us so that plane is more accommodating more spacious these are the two tracks on which our material life is running trying to own and trying to know trying to possess to capture the truth by our physical prowess capture everything or in the fist of our mind and intellect to know everything. These two tracks, they're opposed to bhakti. By traveling on them, we will never know the whole truth, which cannot be conquered, except as is described in this verse. This verse says, Gyane prayasya mudapasya, completely, sometimes Prabhupada would say, hatefully rejecting this means of arriving at conclusive truth by intellectual exercise. It will not be possible. If we try like that, we'll be hurled down. If we try to go into that domain that is above intellect, through the means of the intellect, it's quite possible everything will be lost. What is the means for going there? Actually, the means is Shraddha, faith. Shraddha is born from Sadhu Sangha. Here, in this verse, Brahma says, Stani stita shuti gatam tanu manobhi. He says, you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to have anything, get anything. You don't have to be intelligent even. Just stay right where you are, whatever your position is. But hear from devotees in the Guru Parampara. This is the beginning. And then you can have comprehensive knowing. How comprehensive? Ajita Jitopi. Who is Ajita? Krishna can be Jita. Conquered by that. So simple, but so hard to do. Because we're so used to trying to get somewhere by our physical prowess or by our intellectual prowess. But that's not the means. means is, if Krishna wants us to know, we can know. Otherwise not. Just like if a man lives in a cave and then he, he wants to tell him about the sun. You come and say, come, I want to show you the sun. He says, wait, let me get my lantern. Because he's accustomed to, the, without a lantern, you can't see anything. 
So we are accustomed to thinking that without exercising us ourselves in a particular way, we, we cannot know. But that very means that we're accustomed to acquiring and gaining knowledge and so forth and thinking that we're getting somewhere is actually doing just the opposite for us. We're getting nowhere and by it, we can never know the actual truth. By that lantern, what will it do to shed light on the sun? Put that down. Come outside and see. So this verse is saying that if Krishna wants us to know about him, we can know. Otherwise not. And if we try to force our way in there, we'll be hurled down. The means for going is hearing, which wakens faith, and the cultivation of that faith through seva, service. To serve Krishna is to know Krishna. But if we say, let me know him first, and then, I'll, then maybe I'll serve him. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> no. Then he will hide from us. We'll not know him. If we try to go by our intellect, and it's very subtle because obviously we have to use our intellect also in a Christian service, but it's very easy to be engaged in a mere intellectual sleight of hand and think that we're engaged in actual spiritual activity. It's possible even to read Srimad Bhagavatam and be engaged in no more than an intellectual activity rather than a spiritual activity. So we have to learn to move under the guidance and inspiration of sadhus, Vaishnav. We should be concerned, if about anything, this one thing, that what we do, someone of consequence is concerned about that or aware of that, that we're connected with them by that. Otherwise, our movements are circular. We're going nowhere in terms of real progress. Just like Krishna Lila, someone asked the question, how can we justify the violence in Bhagavad Gita? The background of the Bhagavad Gita, of course, is the Kurukshetra War. And it's said that 640 million people were killed in the war. Not only were there 640 million people, but a good number of them were relatives and friends, even teachers of Arjuna, who Krishna was telling to teach them. So what more kind of heinous act could there be than, first of all, a mass killing of such a large number of people, and then those people are even relatives and friends and so forth. It's a very uh, shocking idea. And then, of course, 640 million in 18 days in Kurukshetra. 640 million people is about two-thirds of the population of India. And, of course, there's no trace of it ever happening. Historically, we can't go back archaeologically and find much about the Kurukshetra War. So the fellow was thinking something along these lines and I mean, does it really make any sense? Come on. So you see, if we start to think about it like this, then what happens is it starts to disappear. We try to go there too much with our intellect, investigate it, penetrate it, we start to reject it. No, I can this. It's not possible. And, and so we maybe turn it into an allegory. We might get something out of that, but we won't get Krishna Bhakti. If it's only an allegory, and in the allegory Krishna himself disappears... So how to explain the violence? How to explain this? So I said, my answer is this. You see, this is a historical event. But what kind of historical event is it? <laughs> and I should comment that not only is it 640 million people dying, but at the will of and in the personal presence of 
the Supreme Godhead, whose love personified, kindness and mercy personified, couldn't he find a better way to deal with the situation? <laughs> Why didn't he just convert Duryodhana and end of the story? Why this huge carnage and is it even possible for that many people to be killed and all of these questions come to mind? The answer is this. Yes, it's a historical event. It's not just a story that we learned something from. It actually happened. But it's a historical event of what? It's a history of Krishna Leela taking place on earth. Then we go into the theology of Krishna's descent, how God can descend in the world, and how does he do so, under what influence? By his own internal shakti, his surup shakti. Then he enacts his drama. And in a drama, nobody dies. It's all acting. This is Krishna's play. As much as that's a historical event, it's the history of the Leela. So as much as it has human elements to it, is as much as it's divine as well. So things happen that wouldn't ordinarily happen, for one thing. And through the Leela, where Krishna does what he wants, it's so wonderful that his carefree Leela is full of knowledge and instruction for human society. Normally when we do things just carefree, then knowledge goes out the window as well. But not Krishna Leela. It's pregnant with instruction for human society. So what is the instruction? This contrast is made. So many people killed and relatives. And Arjuna is being told, kill them. But Krishna is teaching. Kill them by acting like this. By being this kind of person that I'm teaching you to be. That is so high and so extraordinary. That whatever you do in that position, there will be no repercussions. No bad will come to you. And anyone or anything in your path will be done a favor. You understand what I'm saying? On the one end, throughout the whole Bhagavad Gita, Krishna is teaching what it means to be his devotee, free from false ego, completely aloof from the bodily activities, watching them go on, but not identifying with them as if it's you, completely pure intelligence. You study all these things very carefully in Bhagavad Gita, and you will think, as Arjuna did, that's practically impossible. Someone like that can exist? It certainly is interesting, but wow, it's so high, so far from where I am. It's a Vaishnava. Such people can exist. I could be like that. I can't imagine it, but you're saying so with such logic and that this is the real aim of life and it I get hope from hearing from you, Krishna, that it's possible, but if it weren't you saying it, if your grace weren't involved, in, it, it would not be possible. Absolutely impossible. Such a high person. That, the contrast is, even if he killed 640 million people who are his own relatives, such a heinous act, there would be absolutely no repercussions and furthermore, all those people will be benefited more than if they stayed alive. Do you understand? This is a Leela. So many wonderful things happen, and so much we are instructed by it if we pay attention to it. It's not just a story. It's full of philosophy and theology and instructions for us on how to think and change our life for the better. We live in a world of killing. 
Marcia Lokam. We are always taking, and we think that taking is synonymous with getting, either by taking physically or through intellectual exercise. We think that we'll gain. Actually, real taking is on the karma side. When we see the futility in trying to gain from karma activity, then we may retire. This is the gan idea. Retire from work. But one thing to be on the take, another thing to refuse to work, to do anything. Neither one is the solution. What we really want is to move. That means karmas. But we want to do it without any repercussions. And that is vilas, that is play. That is what Krishna Leela is about. Movement without any repercussions, negative repercussions. Knowledge is also there in Krishna Leela, as is movement, but enough to regulate the service. You have to go to bed at a certain time, even in Krishna Leela. <laughs> so knowledge and karma are brought together in a way that's harmonious and happy and fruitful for us by devotion, by bhakti. We live now in a plane of practically of only taking. We're taking, we think, is synonymous with getting, but the fact is we don't get anything. We want to go to the plane where giving is synonymous with getting, so much so that we don't even think about getting, just giving. That is Krishna Leela. And that is what Krishna is teaching, Arjuna and Bhagavad Gita. So we have to think of this this way, explain it to people in this way. And this is what we hear from our Guru Parampara. The mystery unfolds. Evam Parampara Praptam Imam Rajashayobidu, Krishna tells Arjuna. Bhaktosime Sakat Chaiti Rahasyam Hiyetaruttamam. He tells him, Guru Parampara, it's coming through. I'm telling you through this system, because you're my friend and my devotee, therefore Rahasyam, this secret, you can understand. So we want to understand the secret, the whole truth of life, which is kept a secret, kept aloof from us, hidden from us, when we're covered externally by these two, karma and jnana. They obscure our vision of what, as to what is the nature of reality. It becomes a secret to us. To uncover the secret means to remove these layers of karma and jnana. Karma, jnanadi, anavritam. Rupa Goswami is taught. This is bhakti. Free from the tendency of wanting to get and to know. And to know. This one is being hatefully rejected here. I have to know. Curiosity. Kill the cat. <laughs> to love the one who knows everything and owns everything is a much better proposal than trying to own everything and trying to know everything. We can own so little and we can think about one grain of sand forever and never fully understand it. One grain of sand of this world could be analyzed forever and you would never know it completely. There are scientists whose whole life is spent on some microbe isn't it? <laughs> Trying to understand it. They may become a microbe in their next life and get a better first-hand experience of what it is. <laughs> this is futile. This is what Bhagavatam says. These means of arriving at conclusive truth, arriving really at the satisfaction of the heart that we're after, are absolutely futile. Reject them. They cannot help us. And Gyan is more deceiving than karma. It's more easy to see that through our physical act of exploitation that uh, we're going backwards, we're becoming in debt. Karma means debt. Like you borrow money from the bank, it looks like you have money, but really you have 
a debt with compounded interest. But knowledge oh, in its culture is much more subtle and refined, and knowledge of scripture even, knowledge of the Bhagwat. We can acquire all these things and think that we've categorically changed our life, but it's not a fact. Unless the heart comes out, takes precedence over the mind, and we come to Gyanshunya Bhakti. This is the idea. Gyanshunya. Shunya means without, devoid. Just like we see a calf run to her mother in the herd. There may be any number of cows. The calf goes, as we say, instinctively. Just like we can see the birds. They know there's an earthquake coming. There's a storm coming. We don't know. And with our meteorology, you know, we still may not be able to tell. There's an earthquake coming right now at this time. Till it hits and the city falls apart. And we go pick it up and research why we didn't quite figure it out. It was going to come. How we couldn't detect it. And so this Gantunya Bhakti is something like that. Kind of a knowing. It's instinctive, natural. This is how the devotees of Vrindavan move. Naturally, spontaneously. Not encumbered. By thinking, they don't think, there is God, I will serve him. Completely Gyanjunya, they love Krishna. It's a heart's transaction, without thinking about it, serving him, loving him, and moving in this kind of spontaneity. This is our interest. This is the basic idea of pure devotion, Gyanjunya Bhakti. This is stressed, and it said, You stay wherever you are. You don't have to alter your life in some big way. You don't have to acquire a big income, power. You don't have to acquire knowledge to be a devotee. Your position can be much higher than anyone who has greater power of acquisition or greater learning, simply by hearing submissively from the proper source. Then these coverings of Gyan and Karma are suppressed or put in their proper place and the heart comes out. We can move happily and freely, not in our proceed with caution, present modus operandi. Well, now we're proceeding with caution. That means we're looking at everything with our intellect carefully and thinking, do I accept that or do I not accept that? <laughs> that <laughs> if a sadhu can speak such that can, he can retire our thinking, capture our heart, and have real full transaction. We'll be motivated to serve, to hear and chant about Krishna. And with this, we can know what cannot be known. We can know everything about everything. It's so inconceivable to think of. We could study, and this is what Brahma says in his prayers, not in this particular verse, but if you could take the whole sky and roll it up like your bedroll, just like tonight, you roll out your sleeping bag. If you, if you just roll up the whole sky like that, put it in your pocket, he said, you wouldn't know anything about Krishna. What is his position? But imagine what that would take. And Shiva just said he counted every star in the sky, every grain of sand on every beach, every atom in the universe. Can you imagine? These people are worshipping Krishna. Shiva, Brahma, who expanded all the Vedas. These people, one time Prabhupada was asked by one of my godbrothers, why aren't the most intelligent people in the world serving Krishna? And Prabhupada said, they are. Shiva? Brahma? <laughs> he lived in a little bit of a different uh, <laughs> kind of frame of reference. 
we should follow these Mahajanas. What they're saying is, this one thing, service to this one person, focusing all of your energy in this one place, you'll know everything that needs to be known. Why do we need to know anything anyway? To satisfy our heart. That's the only reason. So we can do the thing that will make us most happy. Action is fueled by knowledge. We get some knowledge to fuel our action. And why do we act? Because we want to be happy. Focus all your attention in this one place. You can know everything. This is, it is so simple that it is so difficult to grasp. We can hear it over and over again and still we'll turn our attention to one thing or another thing, one way or another way. And all we're trying to do is get accomplish one simple thing. Make our heart happy. To love. To love and be loved. We were talking the other night. Human life is the plane of loving. God himself has come to this plane to express the fullness of love. We don't have to go anywhere. That is said right here. Stane stitam. Stay right where you are. Right now, particularly in this human form of love, you stay right where it is. But just understand it properly. What it is. Krishna has come to the human plane to experience the fullness of love. Human plane gives us the capacity to express love like no other species. We can love God in the human form of life. And this is what really makes us different from the other species. Not just that we have a power to reason, as people say, because we have the capacity to love. And Krishna, the Nada Lila of human-like Lila of Krishna, comes to answer that human potential. Granted, we have to, in the context of bhakti, hearing about Krishna, getting this kind of knowledge, knowledge about Krishna, that is another thing from Guru Parampara, then we we see the world in a slightly different light. We see it with some objectivity. Oh, it's not what I thought it was. Just like to understand a thing properly, we have to kind of step back from it. As we get too close, there's a bias that doesn't enable us to see it objectively. So we step back a little bit. We look at it and we think, oh, it's at first we think it's something to be transcended. This human form of life, it's a problem. But as we understand it properly, after seeing what we thought it was from an unbiased point of view, from detachment, from a detached position, through the culture of devotion, by which bairagya, detachment and knowledge, come about automatically, the knowledge that we need, whatever knowledge we do need, to love Krishna. We see the world differently, so we don't involve ourselves with it in the way that we did that was implicating and troublesome, painful, but then suddenly we find but I don't have to go anywhere. I can stay right here in this human form of life with this kind of insight. And therefore, Vishwanachakavati Thakura says, Vishwam Purnam Sukhayati. See, the whole world is an abode of joy, as full of opportunities to serve the Lord of my life, the enjoyer of everything. The plane of karma is about exploitation and jnana about renunciation. One tries to enjoy the world other one tries to reject the world. Bhakti is about staying in the world, not trying to enjoy it, neither rejecting it, but using everything in Krishna's service. Nirbandha Krishna Samande Yukta Bhairagya If there's Bhairagya, if there's detachment, which is a symptom of knowledge in Bhakti, it's this Yukta Bhairagya. It means I won't give up anything. It's not useful in Krishna's service. If anything happens to be un not useful in Krishna's service, well, then I won't involve myself with it. But when we go the full distance, we see everything can be used in Krishna's service. 
everything is for Krishna's service. It exists for that purpose. We should involve ourselves in that. So this is the very starting point, really. From here, Roy Ramananda will go on and talk about Dasya Bhakti, Sakya Bhakti, so on and so forth in great detail. This is the beginning point. And this is the beginning of Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, really. That great science of devotion. Here in the language of Chaitanya Charitamrita, it is called Gyan Shunya Bhakti. Devotion unencumbered by knowledge. Again, the heart's fully uncovered. And just like if you're in your homeland and you feel safe when you go home to your house, then you don't worry what what's on the table who's cooked what what's inside of it or you don't have to read the label or does it have any eggs in it or anything like that you're in the homeland movement of free and so this is the idea of Gaudiya Vaishnavas we want to go to the homeland of the heart not anywhere outside some separate place so many miles turn left in the sky and there's Goloka no it's in our heart the home is in the heart and it's said that when a home-knowing person speaks, that he, his words hit home. They mean they touch our heart. The heart is touched, comes out. We feel at home, comfortable. We don't have to worry anymore. We don't have to protect ourselves. We're not proceeding with caution. We're lifting our arms in the air. Hari Bol, Hari Krishna, Hari Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hari Hari, Hari Ram, Hari Ram, Ram Ram, Hari Hari. This is the idea. Lifting the arms up like this. He feels, I have nothing to worry about. I'll put myself in his hands. You think he'll lose balance, <laughs> but no. <laughs> Firm ground to stand on. So, any question? You said, Maharaj, that the human thing is the place for love. Reason is also there, but... In observing human society, there's, you know, there's so, so much talk of love, uh-huh. <laughs> but the, there's a hankering for it. The poets write about it, and so on, and so on. And everyone's trying for it, but without proper knowledge, they don't. You know, the, the experience of love is so shadow of love. But it's such a subtle thing to, to add in knowledge. It doesn't it's just really a changing of one's angle of vision. That's all that bhakti is about. You just have to change your angle of vision, and then everything's fine. It's very subtle. It's so simple that it's, it's easy to miss. Yes, when the soul reaches the human form of life, it pines for love. It means it's pining for itself in a more developed way sense than it has in any other species of life. Through all those species of life, when it gets to human form of life, it can actually understand what I want is love. <laughs> That's what I want. I want to love and be loved. <laughs> it can understand that mysteriously, it isn't understood in any other species of life, mysteriously, right. by giving, and apparently by giving I'm losing, but it, mystically I'm getting. We find that. that yeah. We find that in human life. And of course, people don't understand that. They haven't quite fully developed and 
terms of human consciousness, although they may be in uh, human form. Bhagavatam calls Dvipada Pashu, two-legged animal, by sacrificing, giving some tangible but invisible gain, a sense. It's not like you necessarily have more money or anything. <laughs> but you're happy without it. You may have less money, but you have happiness. Your heart is fulfilled. So Krishna comes to give us the opportunity to exercise that sensibility, to pursue that reality that we have a glimpse of to the fullest extent. Mahaprabhu taught that. We talk about Gyanshanya Bhakti. No one was more learned than the Pandit. You know why Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was called Mahaprabhu? Where did he get the name Mahaprabhu? God is Saraswati. When he defeated Digvijay Pandit, Keshav Kashmir, that Pandit who came to Navadweep, who was defeating everyone, all the Pandits in Navadweep went out of town that day. <laughs> Navadweep was a great place of learning, but if a man from outside came and defeated the locals, that'd be very embarrassing. And they thought, well, Nimai Pandit's a boy here. He's got a bit of a reputation, and we'll let him debate with Nimai Pandit. This was their logic. And if he loses, Nimai Pandit would say, one of our boys, you know, we weren't here. He defeated one of the boys. And if he wins, then even the boys of this town. (laughs) Uh, Mahaprabhu sitting on the bank of the Ganges with his friends, telling jokes. And Digvijay Pandit came for bathing, telling jokes and instructing his students about grammar and so forth. And here's an alankarist, a poet, who knows all the high aspects of literature and and, and the Sanskrit language, Digvijay Pandit. Mahaprabhu says, oh, Pandit is here. Dandavat, please say something in glorification of Mother Ganga. Without thinking, without writing anything down, a hundred verses came from his lips, like the blowing of the wind. New verses. What a feat. And Mahaprabhu was... Very pleased. Conversation ensued a little bit. Then he said, Can you explain to me the faults and the ornaments of your verses? And the pundit said to him, Faults? (laughs) (laughs) Mahaprabhu said, Oh, everyone's poetry's got some fault in it. We find even the statement in Bhagavatam. Tadvagvisargo janataga viplavo yasmin patislokam avadhavati api. Narada is saying to Vyas. Oh, Tadvag Visargo Janataga Viplavo. This Bhagavatam is another kind of creation altogether. It's meant to bring about a categorical change in the life of in human society. Revolutionary thing. Its message is so urgent, so charming, so extraordinary, that even if in its presentation there is some defect from a grammatical point of view or anything, that is to be dismissed. One shloka, yasmin pati will change your life if you hear it. One shloka, one word, one syllable of Bhagavatam. Even if there's some irregularity in the composition. So all poets, some may have some irregularity in the composition. But the Digvijay Pandit was a student of Saraswati herself, and he thought he could make no mistake. Mahaprabhu said there's some faults. And he picked out... 64th verse. He said, I find some, <laughs> I find some nice ornaments in that. That he could even think of the 64th verse. <laughs> there were some ornaments in that, and they are, these are such and such. He listed them. And this is a student of 
grammar. Gangadasa Shishya. Mahaprabhu Nimai Pandit was a student of Gangadas and he had his own school within the school of Gangadas, teaching grammar, student of grammar, commenting on the Alankar. So here are the ornaments and these are the faults. And Devijay was startled and he was defeated. And Mahaprabhu said, Don't think anything of it. I just have a photographic memory. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> Mahaprabhu was so respectful to him. Really, Mahaprabhu defeated him by his own humility. And he was proud at that age, Nimai Pandit, conquering everybody, uh, challenging all the Vaishnavas, Mukunda and Murari Gupta. Murari, he said one day in the school, those people who don't study for me, they don't know anything. Why are you studying separately? You should just go home and treat your patients. He was a doctor of Aidya. You don't belong here in a place like this. And Murari was quite learned, actually. So then he would try to, like, this way, get the Vaishnavas agitated and cause interaction with him, some discussion. So Murari said something very learned, and Mahaprabhu said, very nice. Then he defeated him, and <laughs> then the Mai Pandit reached out and touched him. He said, it's very nice, actually, what you've said. And he became electrified with ecstasy, a feeling they had never felt before. And he just felt, I want to surrender to you. I want to be your student. <laughs> For any regards to everything. This <laughs> way, Mahaprabhu was, Mukunda saw him on the road, would go the other way. Because <laughs> he would want to get in a debate with them and defeat them, and there was no way to defeat Nimai Pandit. Hmm? Only one thing the Vaishnavas had on him life isn't really about knowledge, it's about bhakti, about serving the Lord. Your knowledge will never get you anywhere. And he would say, Yeah, I will become a Vaishnav someday. And Brahman Shiva will come to my doorstep. <laughs> and worship me because I will be such a great devotee. <laughs> so he was uh, exhibiting some pride in the Leela. So knowledgeable he was. And he defeated the Digvijay Pandit completely. But in this instance, so nicely, so gently he dealt with him respected his knowledge. The Digby Japan, he could not understand how he could be defeated. He went back. He, I must have committed some offense to my goddess, Saraswati. He made prayer, did his puja, and he took rest in the dream. Saraswati came and said, that boy who defeated you, he is Mahaprabhu. You think I am the master of learning. He is my master. He is Mahaprabhu. He got his name in relation to this. Mahaprabhu. So learned he was. And still, although he was learned more than anyone in Nadia, whenever he saw Srivas and any senior Vaishnavas, he would pay his obeisances. This verse says here, Gyane prayasu mudapasya namanta. Nama. It means hatefully rejecting this attempt to go there, to know, just by exercising your brain. What will that do? You will not get anywhere by brain exercise. Exercise your heart. What is that? Nama. Nama. Not me. Na, not ma, me. We pay obeisances. Nama. It means not me. It's an attack, really, a verbal. And when we pay obeisances, we're supposed to say something. So this is part of it. It's actually an attack on the false ego, a culture that brings out the heart. It's not me. It's you. Because otherwise we're moving as if it's me, it's me, it's me. I am it. <laughs> 
and everything is to attend to me and to be seen from my vantage point. Completely different way of looking at things. Mahaprabhu would give his nama obeisance when he met his Gurudev, Puripad, Ishwar Puri for the first time with his young wife, Lakshmi Priya, in the house of Sachi. Sannyasis would come. They would be taken care of very nicely. Puripad came and he had written a book, Sri Krishna Lilamrita. So he asked me, my pundit, you are a pundit. Can you look over my book and see if there's any fault in that? What did Mahabharata say? Nimai Pandit said, there can be no fault in a book written by a pure devotee, even if there appears to be. It's not possible. Because it's something that's done purely, devotion to the Lord, there can be no fault. So even though he was showing pride and knowledge here and there, if we look carefully, even in the midst of that, he's teaching Actual real knowing is not by that. And ultimately, Mahaprabhu gave up that. When Mahaprabhu became a Vaishnava, manifest himself as a Vaishnava, everything changed. Hands in the air, chanting and dancing. No more studies, finished. He's teaching if you really want to know. And no one could know more than him, you see? This is the idea. This is the point of his Leela of the Pandit. If you study that, you see, he would give a premise, no one could defeat it. He would defeat it, Hmm? And then he would reverse it and go back to his original premise. Hundreds of times. Absolutely mind-boggling. And all of it, hatefully rejecting. He put it all aside, retired it all. Sometimes they say, the bhakti is for the less intelligent. You've heard it? That is the way to be They say, it's for the less intelligent. No one could be more intelligent than you, my pundit. Learned, scholarly. But he rejected it all for bhakti. So we should try to follow in that example. And so simple. Nama. Tanu van manobir. We should offer ourselves, our tanu, our body, our van, our words, and our mind, our whole being. And what will happen if we do that simple thing? The most impossible thing will become possible. It makes the impossible possible. What is impossible? We said it's impossible to understand even one grain of sand thoroughly, or to speak of understanding the source of every atom and more, Krishna, well, that becomes possible. To conquer him, he who is ajita, this verse says, unconquerable, he becomes conquered by nama, with our body, mind, and words, we offer ourselves to Krishna, you become conquered. Or it also means here that if you are not a devotee of Krishna, by the power of your body, mind, or words, you can never conquer him, know him, understand him. Or it means, if you surrender to Krishna, as advocated in this verse, then Krishna's words, Krishna's body, and Krishna's mind become conquered. By his body, he always stays near his devotee. With his words, he's always glorifying them. In his mind, he's always thinking about them. Now, can you imagine? We can get that person to think always about us, always stand by our side, and always speak about us. What can we say about ourselves? We always like to speak about ourselves or hear somebody talk about ourselves. Such is the power of bhakti. So subtle. Again, it looks like it, it will do nothing. He's bowing over. It's said to get ahead in this world, you have to stand up and step on people's heads to get ahead. But we are learning how to have our head stepped on to go ahead. We take the dust of the feet of the Vaishnava on our head and make progress in a new 
another dimension. All right. So we we'll stop there. Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita Ki Jai. Esi Bhakti Vedanta Swami Prabhupada Ki Jai. Bhakti Raksak Siddhartha Goswami Maharaj Ki Jai. Bhakti Santa Sastri Thakur Prabhupada Ki Jai. Bhakti Vinod Paribar Ki Jai. Shri Vaishnav Guru Parampara Ki Jai. Krishna Skaviraj Goswami Maharaj Ki Jai. Kaur Bhakti Vrindu Ki Jai. Kaur Premanandi Ki Jai.